A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Come into the reading room, all you lovers of language and literature. This is the place for those of us who believe that reading is essential as we seek to rise above the ordinary. And the reading room contains a host of extraordinary people, leading lights of the written word. Authors, literary critics, columnists and ideas people will tantalize your minds with their wordplay while discussing the ideas and worldviews that form our wonderful literary milieu. Come step into a world of magic, the place of undiscovered treasures, a room of reading. And welcome to the reading room. Today we're going to be finding out about one person's overcoming of major obstacles and how you can actually apply what he's learned to your life. Now, I read books. I don't usually read self-help books. I like to read fiction. I like to read widely. I like to be entertained. And when you first said, well, hello, we've got this book we'd like you to read. And you think, mm, a other book about how you can make your life better, how you can overcome obstacles. And I thought, okay, well, let me give it a go. And let me just say that from the moment of picking up the power of purpose and reading through it, it was almost as if Richard Wright had got into my head taken the words out of my brain and put them down on a piece of paper. It resonated with me so incredibly, I would actually be surprised if there wasn't somebody who read this book who didn't find something to take away from it. This is how powerful the power of purpose is. So thank you very much for joining us. I hope that was a good enough introduction to, wow. to you, Richard. It, it was really this book, I'm not going to say it's changed my life, but it's so nice to have somebody who can actually go and articulate what a lot of us may have been thinking in such a way that you sit there and you go, how do you know what I'm thinking? How do you know what I'm thinking, Richard? Cameras. There are cameras placed everywhere. Cameras and little microphones. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. I didn't write it for you, believe it or not. No, um, I know that. So, so No, I didn't. I, actually, I wrote it for my two little girls. And I, I tried to write in a way that they could relate to. And mm. I wanted to impart my stories, my lessons. And I think... We owe it to our children to try and provide a platform for them where they can become a better human being than we could ever become ourselves. And that's why I wrote it, and that's who it was written for. Mm. And what's been amazing is how many people have responded the way you have. And I don't think there's been anybody yet who's read it and who hasn't said to me, I could resonate, I could relate, there was something in it. it wow, you, you, you expressed something that I haven't been able to express. And that's been just the most phenomenal feedback for me. Okay, now, for people who don't know about your, your life story, and we're not going to go deep into it because we want people to read the book, obviously. Broad brush strokes, what happened? First, let me say it's, not a, it's definitely not a self-help book, and it's not an autobiography. I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's a weird hybrid somewhere in between. I've never really fitted in anywhere, and I don't think the book really fits in anywhere either from a category point of view. But essentially, it's a story of the last four years of my life, overcoming three different brain cancers, being told that I was terminal, having to deal with that, and then somehow finding my fight and then taking part in a number of ultra-endurance triathlons and cycling events, um, all with stage four brain cancer. And okay, that's what yes. I want to get into. Are you completely mad? <laughs> okay, I mean, I'm, just, I'm reading this and thinking, okay, you've got brain cancer, you are feeling like rotten, you haven't trained properly, 
and you're still doing this. Why? Why were you so determined to do this? I mean, there's other ways of actually combating a disease, you know. So, so there are, and to each their own. And that's the whole thing is, I think if we can, if we can try to frame things differently, and, and mm. even cancer, once you start to frame cancer differently in your brain, in your head, you think of it differently and you think of your response to it differently. Mm. And I think the problem is the same as anything in life is we are so conditioned to being conditioned to somebody else's way of thinking, mm. to somebody else's treatment plan, to what the specialists are saying, to what the doctors are saying. Just You just get cancer and immediately you tap into everything out there that everybody else says about it, which means that you're not having your own cancer experience. That might sound weird, but it's incredibly important. Mm. So all of the doctors will say that you know 50% of overcoming anything terminal is modern medicine and a treatment plan and, and what they can do. And 50% is what you think and, and it's your attitude. And the one they can really control and the other they can't. So what is that stuff that they can't control but you can? And for some it might be going to do something seemingly crazy like an ultra-endurance event and for others it might be something completely different. But what is that place where you go to get your power back, the place mm. that makes you feel that if I can do this thing, or if I can think this thing, or if I can get out of where I was, even the box of thinking that I was firmly, so firmly entrenched in, if I can get out of that place, mm. what is possible on the outside of that? That's what it was for me. Are you free at the moment? I'm cancer-free, yes. So this I know is, you don't want to call it remission. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I know we've been down that road. So I am. And the funny thing is, and again, that's just how life works is – Four years of struggling, changing jobs to become a professional speaker sort of halfway through. The second time mm. I went into remission, I phoned up my ex-boss and I said, that's it, I'm resigning. And we had this sort of tussle between, no, you're not, yes, I am, no, you're not. And he said, actually, you know, you, you, you should be doing what I think you were put on this planet to go and do. And so just getting to that point, that magic moment where your expenses are somehow slightly less than what your earnings are. And my partner, Deborah, had moved up from Port Elizabeth. We've been seeing each other for about two years. And uh, she's working. We're working together for, for a company called The Enrichment Project. She's the chief enrichment officer. Then COVID struck. And that was literally the week I found out that I went into remission. So this huge celebration, everything, my life just looking like it's, wow, finally. Mm. And then the first three days of COVID, I lost every single bit of future income. Yep. And again, I just sat there, and I know you can relate. I just sat there thinking, how much more? But know? I mean, you just did publish the book just before that as well. I did. I did. In fact, it was delayed because mm. of COVID. Mm. So everything was kind of aligned. It was amazing. And again, it's that, that, that feeling of, wow, how much more resilience do I have to prove to myself and to the world? And, and how, you know, what am I going to do? And then during lockdown, I turned 50. Oh, and well, belated happy birthday. Welcome you. to the real world of the adults. <laughs> the adults, exactly. <laughs> wow. It was a big thing for me because you know, many of the years I didn't think I'd see the next birthday and mm. some of those stories are in the book. And here I am, 50. And I wanted to do something on my birthday that was a celebration. Obviously, lockdown, there was no party that was going to happen. And 34 days before my birthday, again, just had this thought, I'm going to run 50Ks on my birthday. And again, from, from very little training. But that's what it is. It's that feeling of if I can find some goal that is huge and takes me out of everything else I'm experiencing, mm -hmm. somehow I'm able to deal with that stuff. And so we, we literally, Deborah and I ran 34 days in a row. We put it off on a chalkboard and then arranged to get everybody to, it was a love your age challenge. So no matter how old you are, 
come and do something on that day yeah. that represents your age. And my mom, she's 79, she wrote 79 letters of appreciation to people in her life. So you could do anything and then donate money to the Sunflower Fund because I'm, I'm an ambassador. There were a lot of people who were doing challenges to raise money for various good causes as well. I mean, there was time. a lot of cyclists who would have done the Cape Epic who decided to ride the Epic mm. um, while they were locked down. Friends of mine did the virtual Boston Marathon. I'm not a runner or a cyclist, so, I mean, I just gardened. <laughs> I find that does a bit. But as a, a firm supporter of the chalk cows over the years, I mean, I've been so involved with the cows and they are as mad as, as anything. I can understand that people would be following your story because of the goodwill that comes out from so many people who are fighting this dreadful disease. I don't want to have survived cancer just to have survived cancer. I really yeah. want my life to have made a difference more and to make a difference. And, and that really is part of what it is and part of the journey and part of the story is losing everything. And, and not just once, but now twice yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and starting again. And the number of people in my life who I've had to allow to help me, and I'm not mm. good at that. And I'm very good at giving. And it's been, that's the harder part for me is allowing people to help. And part of that journey has been one of the hardest gifts actually is learning to accept. accept. And, and understand that people deserve the same joy that I have in giving in giving to me. So, so one, one of the dedications I write in, in the book, because I've, I've loved personalizing every book and writing a little message, in, especially to people who've given something to me, is that I really hope you find something in this book that's going to enrich your life and you know, is going to resonate with your own mm. journey of, of purpose. And, and that's part of the book, actually, is, is just giving something, putting something out there that maybe my life can mean something to not only my two girls, but to whoever reads it. It's made me think of a, a whole bunch of different stuff, as I said, right in the very beginning here. Uh, but the one analogy that I, I loved was that whole thing about making your bed. Because if you do, I mean, it's, it's been something with all my friends, anybody who might have depression, the black dog follows them around, they might not even be ill, but it's in their head. It's still very real to them. And I've just said to them always, the one thing that you can do that you have power over is to tidy up your space. So get up, make your bed. And you pretty much put that in here as well. And I was just like, okay, you're a man after my own heart. <laughs> and that's so important to me. And it's what you just said is just so valid. So there are weeks throughout this journey where I didn't leave my bedroom, bathroom and kitchen. And you know, some of the curtains were just closed in the house. I, I turned off my WhatsApp. I came off social media. And I, I was just struggling so much that I was bad to even let anybody in. But even on those days, if I could just get up and make my bed and tidy up and just get some order. Get dressed. Uh, it was phenomenal how much that did for me. It, yeah. it, it truly is the most empowering thing. If I can do that, then okay, I can do a bunch of other things. And as I said in the book, even if your, your day is spectacularly awful yeah. and you accomplish nothing else, you complete full circle and you climb back into the bed that you made in the morning. And that's, that's quite a cool feeling. But I think it all boils down to whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. Correct. Absolutely. So, so the book is a lot about that, is about how we think and uh, a lot of examples of my own life there and, and failings, mistakes I've made. Uh, there's a lot of very real, raw vulnerability in the book. Mm. And I try to be as honest as possible. And I've also seen that uh, throughout my journey. The more I share on social media vulnerably and honestly, the more it resonates with other people. And I think we're stuck in that rut of trying to pretend that you know, the highlights package is what everybody else's life looks like and it isn't really it's probably even just the highlights of the highlights package and so that impacts how we think because we think based on the thoughts that we put into our own head and a lot of those thoughts we garner from other places mm -hmm. whether that's social media whether it's what doctors have said specialists have said what people say to us so so much of that was a fight and a struggle against 
the things that people were saying to me at that time. So there isn't a single specialist who didn't say to me, you've got rocks in your head, you shouldn't be doing this. My, my family were not keen on me do, you know, racing. Well, if I was around you, I would have said no <laughs> as well, to be honest with you. I would have tied you down and said, you don't be ridiculous. And it's completely mad. So there we go. And, and is, are those the thoughts that you put into your head or do you rely on what you know about yourself? Mm. So it really was a big journey of unbecoming and trying to understand who I am and what I'm about and what my strengths are and tapping into those, whatever it was that was going to make me feel strong, resilient, tenacious, formidable, mm. whatever made me feel that, I had to do it. And if that was just putting on some running shoes and going to walk around the block, and there are times that's all I could do, and I raged, I raged in my body and I slammed my fist on the, the sidewalk, sat on the side of the road. But if, if I could just do that, mm. I was doing more than sitting in the house and feeling sorry for myself or allowing myself to feel like a victim. And that, that's, that's been a big thing for me is that the fact that you only ever a victim once thereafter you're a volunteer. Yep. And at that moment, so when, when I'm told, Richard, you've got stage four brain cancer, at that moment, I am a legitimate victim of cancer. The day after that, it's a choice. Yeah, you can decide what you're going to do with it. Absolutely. What are you going to be doing from here on? I mean, first of all, where can people get your book from? Secondly, are you going to be taking your talks online that people can join in with you to come and listen to you and be inspired by what your story has all been about? Thank you. So first question is where? It's available in all good bookstores. Exclusive Books have got it online. Reader's Warehouse, most of them have got it. But most good bookstores, it's on Amazon, uh, the Kindle version. Mm -hmm. And if you'd like a signed copy, then we can get that organized to you. And that's on my website, which is www.iamrichardwright.com. Um, and I'll happily do that. So that's where it is. I am wanting to come into this studio actually and record an audible version and actually read the book myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm quite excited about that prospect and be able to put that out there. So that'd be quite nice. Um, but then from a speaking point of view on that same website, the I'mRichardWright.com website, um, there are links to talks. I do, I do life coaching as well. And then on my YouTube channel, there are, there are loads of videos. I put out quite a lot of content all the time. In the pipeline is to convert the book into a bit of a learning experience online with a bunch of videos and some content, get people to really think about their journey. And mm. a lot of it is about identity and will be about identity and, and how you think and tapping into you. So not so much a self-help book, but a journey of self-discovery. My job isn't to help you, your job is to help you. So, <laughs> yeah. so and, a, and a book, a self-help book is never going to do that. I mean, how many books are there out there? So it's got to be something that allows you to take things in where you being challenged yourself. So that's in the pipeline. And then another book. Another book. Another one. So I, I'm so excited about that one. So it's going to be a study on purpose, finding purpose. Mm. And I wanted to interview people who just really stand out, out the box people who are overachievers because they are so purpose driven. And I believe that there must be eight, 10 common personality traits, characteristics that all of those people across religious, sporting, political, whatever it is, whatever that, that thing is that drives them, there's got to be commonality. And I want to get to the bottom of that. So that's where I'm well, going to next. That quite, sounds quite an interesting one. Mm, Do you find I, it more in males than women? Absolutely not. I think, I think what we're finding more and more in today's society is that, that women are almost more driven by a lot of causes because they uh, are coming from behind. So you know, to, to get that, the level playing field and to, to get transformation across and you know, get the agenda to the fore, I think it's taking more often mm. than the same for men. It, it's not an equal world. So 
For sure. <laughs> so, so in terms of the list that I've got, I think at this point in time, probably more women on there than there are men, actually. Well, I mean, for you, that's a good thing because, of course, you're bringing up two young ladies. Correct. And, I mean, how, how do they feel about their rock, their happy place? That's you, obviously. So um, thanks for remembering those words. And you're going to have to find out what the significance is in the book. But I've got the best supporters in the world. They couldn't be more proud. And although the journey has taken a toll, I've tried my hardest as a, a single dad. Uh, I'm divorced and they live with their mom one week and with me one week. And I've tried really hard to protect them against the cancer journey and to allow them to be kids. And as much as I think that I've got that right, um, I probably haven't. Kids are so, so perceptive. In fact, I'm, I was due, I skipped my three-month scan during lockdown. I just I just couldn't, through, through everything, trying to get myself back on my feet financially, trying to get the virtual talks going and it got really busy i think i've done 64 or 65 virtual keynotes up until this time it's been crazy but through all of that there was no ways i wanted to go for a scan and get bad news i was mm-hmm. so petrified of doing that um what it would do to my energy what it, it, it changes everything so you know and, and then people say to me but richard you should because surely you are stressing out right now because you don't know and then i think well no actually the the stress of not knowing and maybe is not anywhere near the stress of I know. Mm. And yes, if I go and I find out that I am still clear, then there's relief. But it really is only relief for two months. And it's not that different being in remission because nobody says to you it's gone, never coming back. So every time there's a symptom, every time there's something, your first thought is, oh my goodness, is it back? Is it spread? Is it somewhere else? So I'm due for a six-month scan next week, and I still need to figure out if I'm going or not. You, you will go, and it will be fine. Your purpose is clear. You have to get the next book out. But, but your positivity <laughs> is amazing. So but, but here's the no thing. So there isn't really much treatment for, for it if it no. is back. So, that, that, so what it does change, and getting back to my two girls, what it does change is it changes the energy in the house, and it mm. changes – how they look at their dad and McKinnon especially the older one and she's about she turns 15 next week Tuesday um, whenever she can see that I'm tired or I'm just not feeling great daddy are you okay she really worries Mm. so even for that reason I'd rather just just keep it on the down low and not go so so they have been a massive part and they've been extremely affected but throughout all of it I think what I've really tried to show them is it's how we get back up again and it's how we face off the challenges and nobody gets to put you in a box to tell you how you should or should not respond to whatever happens to you in your life. I think this should be required reading for teenagers, to be honest with you. I have a couple of those and I think that they would take so much away from this book. And if nothing else, just from the way that you girls have dealt with it as well. It's fantastic. So I'd really urge anybody, if you're going through that, why am I here? What am I doing? What should I doing? What am I doing wrong? This is definitely a book that you should get hold of. As Richard said, you can pick it up at any good bookstore online. I am Richard Wright, which is with a W. Richard with a Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. And you're very right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, And I really, I wish you all the best with this. Let us know how things go. Thank you very much. I'm sure they will be 100% fine. Thank you. All right. And uh, let us know when the next book is out, please. I will. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all the positive things you've said. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.